Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, it's you, McTeer here, host of the La Liga Lowdown podcast and I'm here to introduce you to a special episode of the show. The La Liga season has been completed so we held a live show via Periscope just after the end of the campaign to discuss all the big storylines from Spanish football this past year and what was the longest season in history. We went through our teams of the season, picked our coach of the season, reflected on the standout moments, we praised Granada, we criticised Barcelona and Valencia. We did a lot as I was joined by La Liga Lowdown's Paco Pollitt, Roman de Arker and Hassan Karim with a couple of other special appearances along the way. So coming up just now is a replay of the entire live show. I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome along to our second La Liga Lowdown Live. Thanks to everyone who tuned into our first show when we did that on June 11th, just when La Liga was returning from the coronavirus pause. We're having our second one now. Thanks for everyone who interacted as well over these last few weeks. We've completed the season. We didn't maybe always think we would, but we've completed the season, at least in the first division. We know that Real Madrid are champions. Barcelona, well, they didn't have the best restart. Sevilla, Atletico Madrid into the Champions League. Europa League, Granada, Euro Granada, that's the feel-good story of the season. And at the bottom, well, Espanyol, Real Mallorca, and Paco Pollitt, as we'll find out, his beloved Leganés. He's now a Leganés fan. They went down too. Paco, of course, is also a Valencia fan, so it's not been good for him. So let's introduce the guests. Paco Pollitt, of course, Roman de Arquer and Hassan Karim. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer. And before we get into the crisis talk about Valencia and Barcelona and Espanyol, let's start with a more feel-good, positive note. So Hassan, your Real Madrid have won the league. How excited are you that they're champions? Oh, it's been a long season, a really long season. So now it's over and they've actually lifted the trophy. Um, I'm delighted considering all the sort of narratives and storylines that have come along with it. So it's, it's been a long season, but yeah, delighted to see it finally come good. Yeah, we'll get into Barcelona and Valencia later. As I said, be sure to comment along if you're watching live and let us know your thoughts on the season that we've just had. Paco, I'm not going to ask you specifically about Valencia just now, but what are your thoughts on the season being completed? Because for a long time, we didn't sure that we weren't sure that we'd uh, reach this point. 
Taiwan, well, I'm glad that the season is over because it has been very, very demanding on absolutely everyone, the players, the clubs, the fan base who have been not able to attend those last 11 games uh, live in the stadiums. And obviously for, for the teams that I uh, support, uh, well, Levante did a great job in the last round of games, but Valencia have been awful this season. Um, so I don't really think this is going to be greatly remembered in a few years. So overall, very, very tiring and and... And, you know, everyone is always expecting it to end and to have a bit of rest and finally get some energy, positive energy back uh, in the 2021 season. And Roman, I guess there's not too much positive energy in Catalonia where Espanyol relegated Barcelona runners-up in the league. But were people at least happy to see football come back after three months off because of the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's been a long pause, especially here in Spain, where we were confined for a long time, weren't capable of going outside. There was not much entertainment. So we missed La Liga, especially me. And it was good to have football back. Of course, it was sad that fans couldn't go to the stadium, as Paco mentioned. But at least we got that football. We got an exciting competition. It was game after game after game. And it was fun to get uh, La Liga back. Absolutely. So I mentioned some of the headline points of the season, Real Madrid being champions, of course. But let's have a bit more of a closer look just now at how the table finished up. We had Barcelona in second and then Sevilla and Atletico tied on points actually, which was quite interesting, but Atletico getting into third place for the eighth year in a row. So I'm going to ask each of you just now for one of the teams that really stands out to you, one of the teams that their final position kind of surprises you. Roman, can I start with you? Yeah, sure. I was really impressed. I think everyone was really impressed with uh, Granada. They've been a fantastic side uh, this season. Getting to the uh, uh, European League positions was so unexpected after uh, going up from Segunda División, I think many of us in the initial podcast thought they were uh, going to be always near the bottom, but they were super impressive and they got to that position. And also credit to Real Sociedad and Valladolid, who for me were also very uh, good this season. And Paco, is there a team that stands out to you for good or bad reasons? Well, Villarreal for good, obviously, because the way they desperately uh, run forward and charged towards that European places in the last 11 games was very, very impressive. And if I have to speak about the negative side of things, obviously Valencia with the fifth budget, the obligation of getting into European places for the Champions League or the Europa League and failing miserably to do that. Finally, ninth spot for them. It has been an awful season. And unfortunately, the people responsible for that weren't the players. It was the management. And Haas, which place in the table catches your eye? Uh, Hatafe's finished in where they've ended up, to me, by surprise, um, considering we all expected them to get into Europe. Obviously, post uh, lockdown, I think they lost that sense of momentum, which really did hurt them in the end. Uh, as, of course, Espanyol as well really, I think, sent shockwaves throughout the entire Spanish football, finishing dead bottom after finishing in European places only last season. Yeah, absolutely. Espanyol, one of the, the shocks of the season, rock bottom. But let's move right to the top just now and have a bit of a deeper discussion about Real Madrid, who finished as champions their 34th title. you're a Real Madrid fan, Roman, you're a Barcelona fan, Paco, you're a mix of a Valencia or Leganes fan, so I'm going to come to you as the neutral in the room. How deserved was this league title for Real Madrid? They won by five points in the end, so were they worthy champions? Did you notice Gareth Bale? 
didn't take part in that little mm. celebration. Well, um, I think it was absolutely well-deserved for Real Madrid. And I think Zinedine Zidane has been pretty reinforced by the way he has smartly managed the squad, rotating the players, giving them rest, getting them to be in top shape in, in this last run of 11 games. And I think that him in the bench, Ramos as a captain, legend, leader, scoring over 10 goals this season. Um, Benzema in, in beast form the whole season. And also we should take into consideration Barca self-destroying themselves uh, back in uh, January when they decided to sack Valverde. And I think that was also a turning point in the season. From that point onward, yeah, Setien tried to, but wasn't able to keep up those standards. So Real Madrid took advantage and they deservedly won the league. Yeah, and this weekend will be exactly one year since Real Madrid lost 7-3 to Atletico in that preseason game in New Jersey. It was preseason, sure, but at the time, I don't think many expected Real Madrid to go on and win the title. As a Real Madrid fan has, how surprising was the turnaround? I mean, I actually had Atletico as my title favourites before the season kicked off. I, I thought they looked, on paper at least, a real solid outfit. Um and even through the season, Real were quite inconsistent for the first, I'd say, two to three months, up until about October time when they lost to Mallorca at San Marc. Um, it was it was tough. Um, you know, there were murmurs of Zidane getting the sack, Jose Mourinho coming back, which would have been a disaster, by the way. Um, so for the turnaround then to come into the new year, looking defensively more solid than ever, um, I think it really was quite, uh, quite a surprising turnaround. I expected them to contend, but lift the title was something I wasn't expecting this season. And in such strong fashion as well. Yeah, and if we look at the results that they had, a lot of zeros there, a lot of binary code kind of numbers for Real Madrid. They won quite a few games 1-0, kept a lot of clean sheets. That's one thing that Barcelona didn't have. Roman, what else did Barcelona lack that Real Madrid had? Well, I think basically what Madrid had that Barcelona didn't have was a squad depth. We saw how Madrid had so many attacking options. You know, they could uh, play whoever they needed because if one was injured, then you'd find another really quality striker or winger or whatever. And also, overall, the whole team, I think, was more compensated. Whereas Barcelona, we saw that they struggled, especially at the end. The last match day, we saw that they had barely players to put on the bench because they had so many suspended and injured guys. So that's, I think, one of the key factors. And the other one I'd say is that uh, Madrid had a good motivator. People say whether Zidane is good in terms of uh, being a coach or not, but I think he's a fantastic motivator. I think nobody can doubt that. Whereas uh, Setien or Valverde are very good technically and, you know, in terms of formations and tactics and all that. But when it comes to motivating, they don't have that special thing Zidane has because Zidane just gets the 100% out of his players in every game. Absolutely. I totally agree about the squad depth argument there. And that means there's lots of Real Madrid players to pick from when it comes to selecting an MVP for the season. So let's try to do that just now. Hass, I'll come to you first as a Real Madrid fan. Which player are you most grateful to for this title? I think Ferland Mendy was a really important influence in that back line. Um, you know, we all know what Marcelo is. He's, you know, he's, a, he's an attacking fullback who definitely likes to get forward. Whereas Mendy's an assured presence at the back and he really solidified that position because often we see Ramos is usually compensating for Marcelo being somewhat up the pitch somewhere. Um, so I think that was massive for solidifying that back line and making them the tightest back line in Europe. And Paco, who are you picking? Do you agree with Haas there? Yeah, well, I think Mendy did 
a very good season on his own, but I have to go with Courtois, Thibaut Courtois. I think the the keeper for Real Madrid has had his own vindication season. Once he came to Real Madrid last year, he didn't really step up to the challenge. But this year he has been absolutely crucial in many, many games with uh, crucial saves, being, you know, that kind of solid keeper, being able to... Um, maintain an incredible number of clean sheets in the last run of games. So at the end of the day, having a, a good keeper is, is uh, very important for any uh, championship contender and Real Madrid had it in the figure of uh, Thibaut Courtois. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a left back and a goalkeeper so far. Roman, who are you picking? Who is uh, the Real Madrid MVP in your view? I'm going for a more popular pick, I think, and that's Benzema, striker in this case. I think he was amazing uh, this season. And the difference between um, Benzema and maybe Mendy or Courtois, I think, was the consistency because Benzema, I think, was good from the first game right until the end. And he's been key in like 100% of this competition, I think, because he's not just scored goals, but he's also provided the goals. And he's just such an intelligent player uh, upfield. Whereas, you know, other players like Courtois maybe didn't start as well, I think, although he ended fantastically. And Mendy didn't play all the games because Marcelo was also a starter in many games. So I think he maybe isn't my MVP, but Benzema definitely was incredible. Yeah, if I'm picking, I'm going for Casemiro. I thought he was so important this season. But be sure to comment and let us know just how we're all so wrong because none of us picked Sergio Ramos. So let us know who you think the MVP is, if it should be Ramos or any of the ones that we've picked just now. We're going to move on just now to the first of our crisis clubs. Roman, I'm afraid that's Barcelona. So can you just try and sum up how disappointing a season it was, if you can manage it? Well, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, it was definitely a very disappointing season for Barcelona. I think we expected much more because we were fighting for three titles and now we've just got the Champions League and it's very, very unlikely Barcelona win the Champions League. Let's be realistic here. I mean, we have Messi, all that, but just how the team has been playing all out through the whole season hasn't been good. The change in manager halfway hasn't been good either and the board uh, hasn't helped. So it's been a very chaotic season and I think... Uh, we hope for more, but this is what we deserve with all that's happened. Well, let's reflect on that change in manager because Paco mentioned already that he thinks the Valverde for Setien move was key. What were your thoughts on that at the time? And what are your thoughts on that coaching change switch now? Well, even if the well, stats say that um, their points were similar between Valverde and Setien, actually Setien got two more points than Valverde in, in his run. I think that it was a, a wrong move, definitely a wrong move because of the way it uh, moved too much, the way uh, it was some kind of tremor inside the club. Um, nobody expected such a change in, in January after that Super Cup in, in Arabia. And I think it, it really didn't uh, allow Barca to shine because Setien, at least on paper, had one playstyle, but when he tried to execute it, it really didn't come to fruition. So I think Valverde, with time, will be better liked by some of the fans because I think he did a, a, a decent job in Barca and I think Setien didn't live up to the standards he had generated before his arrival. Yeah, Roman, will Valverde's uh, reputation improve in your view over time? Well, I, I don't think so because, I mean, Valverde already did his job here. We saw that the team in more over two years didn't really improve in terms of the way they were playing. And I think in Barcelona, we want something more in that sense. And Kiki hasn't been capable yet. We don't know if he'll have time to do so. But um, I think the change wasn't right in terms of the timing, basically. It should have happened either before the season started or at the end, not in between. That was the mistake. Yeah, very weird. Barcelona don't usually do that, do they? Changing coach midway through the season, but they did it 
this year and it didn't quite work out. Let's go on to some of the juicy stuff now because there's been so much off-the-pitch drama at Barcelona. It's been like a weekly soap opera this season. So I want you to all give me your, your standout moment of off-the-pitch drama at Barcelona from the season. Haas, as a Real Madrid fan, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Can I come to you first? What moment? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I loved every second of it. Um, I think the standout point when it kind of really showed that their lack of self-respect for themselves as a club was when they were chasing Neymar, who's openly, for you know, lack of a better word, had their pants down in public numerous times. Um, so, I mean, he sued them. He's played, I mean, he left them in pretty disgraceful circumstances anyway, just ditched them and bounced because he wasn't getting that sort of limelight that he wanted. Um so the fact they were able to chase him openly, it just shows poor planning as well, the poor planning that's been culminating over years and I think, feel like finally exploded this season and came back to buy. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're trolling there, Hass, but I think you actually also believe every word you just said, which... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Paco, what would you pick watching on? What, what moment really stood out for you? I, I have to go with the social media mess, you know, the I3 Ventures controversy, which I explained very quickly. Yeah, um, you know, fans should know that uh, allegedly uh, Barca's board were spying on some of the opposition of people who didn't like the board and stuff. Okay, and and apparently, allegedly, uh, they paid for some kind of, um, you know, social media reputation agency in order to improve the reputation of Bartomeu on the board. So everything exploded. It seemed that uh, all of the information got leaked and, uh, you know, Barca's board were left in the ground and looking uh, awful to the eyes of, of the fan base. So I think that whole mess and the whole drama with Piquet calling people Titeya, with like puppets, uh, some of the people surrounding the club, I think that was incredible for football fans, obviously awful for Barca fans. Yeah, I'm sure you you thought that, Roman. What moments stood out to you? Any other moments that uh, you wish didn't happen off the pitch this season? Well, as Haas was saying, I think the planning was absolutely terrible, especially, especially in that winter market where they decided to bet on Dembele and then he got injured and then we had no striker and then we had to sign Braithwaite and all that dilemma kind of exploded and that was disastrous and Eric Vidal in this sense has done a pretty terrible job and all this bad uh, handling and bad dealing has led uh, Barcelona to have to make dodgy deals we could say with for example Juventus where you're paying a certain amount for Pjanic and sending Arthur there which is just crazy and this could be really harmful in the future because they have to amortize all that money but I mean that's what Bartomeu is all about messing it up. Yeah, I love your insight, as always, Roman, hitting the nail on the head. But you actually spoke to some other Barcelona fans around the city to see what they think from the season. So we're going to hear from some of them now, some other disgruntled Barcelona fans. There's like five or six players in Barcelona who just uh, have been winning everything year after year, season after season. And I think those guys, uh, who are all of them like over 30 years old, I think they have like too much power inside the club, inside the team. Um, in Spain and in Barcelona, we call them vacas sagradas. That means a uh, sacred cows, like in India. So I really think those players like should not be playing in Barcelona anymore. Mo Messi acted as a captain. He said what he needed to say. He is the captain. He has to say these words. People say like are amazed by his words, but it's, it's just with the job of the captain. If he didn't do that, I would be deceived. I like Kike Setien. He, he was put in the spotlight. He came in a very dif difficult position in the middle of the league um, with a team that was about to fall into a crisis. And he's trying to, to put his game, his style, but there's obviously a lot of pressure. 
We've lost the league, but I trust in Kike Setien. I really think Barcelona needs a, a coach who can really become a leader, who has like a great personality and a lot of charisma. You know, someone maybe like Guardiola or maybe someone like Luis Enrique or Jurgen Klopp, you know? Someone who says, I'm here, I'm the leader, and if we have to go through hell, we'll go. They've been spending a lot of money uh, signing up for players who have not been good enough. I also believe that um, the management of the club is not good enough, for example with Abidal. I think he's not the proper uh, manager for a club as Barcelona. They're doing things very bad, their signings are very bad and there's not been like um, good communication with the team, there's always been like a lot of differences. And I don't know, I don't like them. I think they should leave. So the Barcelona fans, not very happy there, understandably so, I think. We're going to move on to our next crisis club now, which is, I'm sorry, this time it's your turn, Paco. It's <laughs> Valencia. They didn't qualify for Europe. Just how serious and significant is that financially and maybe as well in terms of attracting players? Well, it's a very big blow uh, financially because it uh, forces the, the club to sell around 50, 60 million uh, euros in players this summer. And, uh, you know, we saw it coming. I think it's nothing shocking for the fans because we saw, we absolutely saw it coming since uh, September when, when Martellino was sacked and later Matteo Aleman followed suit. Uh, the decision making has been appalling uh, the whole season and we could also pinpoint last summer when everything started. So um, I think it's a, a very big disappointment that ninth place uh, isn't really the place where Valencia should be. But at the end of the day, the players, in my view, they did what they absolutely could and tried their best, but too many wrongdoings in, in the, within the management uh, will take you to, to that position, to the ninth place. Yeah, the Marcelino sacking, I think, was key. Albert Salades came in. Was he kind of doomed to fail? Could anybody have come in and, and turned this into a good Valencia season? Well, I think that it wasn't his fault, you know. Uh, I think he wasn't ready at this point in his career to become the caretaker for for Valencia to try to turn things around. Um, Players did their absolute best to keep that Marcelino momentum going since the Copa del Rey final. Uh, And you could see the team trying their hardest and they actually did quite well in the first three, four months until that game in Amsterdam against Ajax. They won the game. They moved into the uh, last 16 round in Champions League. But after Christmas, that momentum was over and it all fell apart because the team physically was very, very tired. And as Celades tried to get in his own play style, uh, things had to fall apart at some point. Yeah, they were especially poor after the restart from the coronavirus pause. Haas, as a Real Madrid fan who saw your team win 10 in a row straight after the break, what kind of differences did you see between Real Madrid coming back so strong and Valencia so poor? It's stability. It's all instability, isn't it? And it's something that Valencia have lacked for some time now. And I think actually after a bit, that weighs on your mental state. And I think the players have essentially thought all this chaos is surrounding us. Some of us actually have uncertainty around their futures. I mean, we saw the story come out uh, a couple of weeks ago where a few players were warned literally hours before playing that they had no future at the club and would be sold. Um, it's just conditions that mentally I don't see how you keep yourself focused and in shape in that sense. Now, Roman, I'm going to propose a trade for you. We know Valencia's boardroom problems are pretty bad as well. Would you trade Barcelona's boardroom problems for Valencia's? 
Uh, definitely not. Of course <laughs> not. <laughs> There's no doubt here. I mean, of course, Barca has been terrible, and I insist they've been the board is, is a shambles. But at the same time, when you look at Valencia, it's like every time things seem to be going right, like when they won the Copa del Rey or whatever, another bomb just comes out of nowhere and, and bashes everything, and it's back to the drama, back to the chaos, back to the problems. So uh, if I had to pick, I would still stick with Barcelona, even though I don't like saying that. No, fair enough. We'll move on now to our third crisis club, quite a few of them this season, and that's Espanyol. They finished rock bottom. They got relegated for the first time in 27 years. And I don't know, Paco, did we maybe see this coming? Because remember last summer, they lost Ruby, the coach. He moved to Betis. They lost Borja Iglesias. He went with them. Did we maybe see the signs of this in the summer? Possibly so, but again, every time a mid-tier club tries to um, play La Liga, play Copa del Rey and also compete in Europe, I think they, they find themselves in trouble. Obviously, Borja Iglesias leaving for Real Betis and also Rubi, the manager leaving for uh, the green and white team, was, was a big blow for them. But I think many things went wrong. For example, picking David Gallego, he wasn't fit for the job and you could see it from the from the first from the get-go and and also that momentum uh, beginning the the season so awfully was very very difficult to turn around they tried in january with some big signings in barba Raul tomas but but it wasn't enough i think they were doomed to failure from the get-go and i wouldn't only fault or put blame upon uh, ruby and borja iglesias leaving yeah roman they really tried to fix it in january with those those signings and they tried to fix it throughout the season by changing the coach. Why didn't those mid-season changes work? Well, it's a good question because usually when a new coach comes in, there's like, you know, that boost, uh, the motivation you get. And we really did feel it with uh, my team the first few games maybe, but then we saw that his formation just wasn't working. The 3-5-2 wasn't for Espanol and he was just, you know, too close-minded in that sense and wanted to implement that style. And then I think with Abelardo, there was a change. They were playing much better. It was all looking good. But in the end, um, again, I don't know what happened in this case because I thought that Espanol could save themselves with Abelardo. But overall, I do think it was a problem in terms of squad depth because at the beginning of the season, with the team they had, it looked good to play La Liga and Copa del Rey. But if you add Europa League to that, where they have to play game after game and they, have to, they were trying to win those games, then it makes it a lot harder. So I think Espanol were really uh, partially condemned to... to go for relegation. Yeah, I think that's a good point about the Europa League because they didn't seem prepared for it. Haas, you saw them actually in the Europa League when they played Wolves. Um, what did you make of the, the Europa League as that extra commitment for Espanyol? And is this maybe a cautionary tale for Granada, who are now into it for next season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a story we see so many times, you know, how many times over we've seen it. We see a club that usually don't find themselves in those European positions with that extra burden. They're not able to adequately get the depth that they need. I and mean, when we, with the game against Wolves, you saw the depth and quality was massive. Whilst they had, uh, you know, they have their own stars, in the, you know, in their own right, you know, with Mark Rocker, you know, Ralph Thomas, who actually didn't feature for them in that game. Um, and then you compare that with Wolves, and they've got Adama Traore, Raúl Jiménez, Ruben Neves, Jaumatinho. They've got a Euro-winning goalkeeper and Golden Ruben Patricio. They've got all these options. And Espanyol, they do have a good budget. We we know that they've got one of the bigger budgets in the league. Um, I just don't they spent it adequately and then in January I feel like what they did was they threw as much as they could at the wall hoping something would stick ultimately that didn't happen um, so as a result you know you find yourself in that position and again linking kind of back to the point with Valencia instability again because there's constant chopping and changing of coaches naturally that's always going to wear on you because it's like okay new style 
a new approach just you you can't get used to that in such a short space of time yeah absolutely and they're looking for uh, someone to lead the project again as they go down to Segunda. Um, we've got Cadiz and Huesca coming back up, which is quite exciting for next season. Huesca have done a bounce-back promotion. They just got relegated, remember, this time last year. Or not really, because it was May last year. They've come straight back up. So we've got Espanyol, Real Mallorca and Leganes going down. Guys, which of the these three teams do you think is best equipped to do a Huesca and come straight back up? I'll come to you first, Roman. Well, I'm going to go for Espanyol, I think, because um, this is the fifth time they go down to Segunda and they're used to being in Primera División. And as a matter of fact, every time they've gone down, they've bounced uh, back right back up uh, to Primera. So I think that could happen once again. They also have the financial backup from the Chinese president, Chen. He's going to make sure Espanyol get the players they need. They have a good competitive squad to try and fight and get back to the competition. But of course, until we don't see those final squads, it's going to be very hard to predict. But if I had to pick one right now, I'll go for Espanyol. Paco, who are you going for? Well, I would love to say Leganes because their their kids are are beautiful. But uh, I have to go with with Roman. Um, I think has pointed out earlier the the budget issue with Espanyol. They were the ninth budget this season, the nineteen twenty season in La Liga, and this means that even though they go down to Segunda, they will have one of the biggest budgets of the whole competition, and that will help them to rebuild properly. I think. In Segunda Division, it's very easy to build a competitive team by, you know, straight up splurging cash around and, and getting a very strong side. So I think they're going to be the best equipped side to to bounce back and, and get promoted once again to Primera next season. What about you, Hass? Are you agreeing with the guys and going for Espanyol as well? No, I'm feeling Mallorca. I am still feeling Mallorca. Um, you know, I think they're, they're a good outfit and they've definitely got the pieces to come straight back up. Um, and we've seen this this season. It can be an exciting time. You know, they can be an exciting side, you know, when things go their way. Um, and when their back's against the wall, they always seem to really come out swinging. So I think that's a side that definitely could step up. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about Real Mallorca now. All season long, we've had Alex Fitzpatrick on the island telling us what's been going on there on our podcasts and videos. And he gives us a bit of an update just now, explaining basically what went wrong and why Real Mallorca went straight back down. It's been a brave and hard-fought season for Mallorca, but one that has ended in relegation. Started the year with the lowest budget in the division and a double promotion meant that they still had a squad that featured many players from the Segunda Bay and the rest from the Segunda. In fact, only two signings that they made, and they made many, ended up playing a substantial amount of games regularly each week. Sacrifice Kubo on loan and Cucho Hernandez also on loan. The highs undoubtedly were the victories at San Marsh over Real Madrid, Valencia and Villarreal, and the lows, of course, the away form. After the lockdown, they struggled to get going. They drew a crunch game at home against Leganes, which made a tough job to stay up even harder. They had a resounding victory over Celta Vigo, 5-1 at San Mosh, which looked to get them back on track. But the away form meant they couldn't ever get any momentum going. They had a tough run-in in those final 11 games, playing all of the top five. So five of their 11 games were against the top sides ultimately falling short in their survival bid in the defeat against Granada on Thursday night. 
Well, let's hope that Real Mallorca can bounce back up soon, quicker than it was last time they went down. Same goes, of course, for Espanyol and Leganés. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Let's fly back up to the top or the top-ish of the table just now and have a look at the European qualification picture. So I don't think there's any surprise that Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid all made it into the Champions League. But Sevilla doing so and doing so so closely to Atletico Madrid, that maybe caught a few by surprise there back in the Champions League after three years. As you saw how it didn't work for Julian Lopetegui at Real Madrid. Are you surprised by how well it worked for him his first year at Sevilla? No, I think he stepped into a project that is, is stable. I mean, the, the job that he stepped into at Real Madrid was probably something that no manager wanted to step into a post-Ronaldo era, post-Zidane era in Madrid. So I think anyone that stepped into that position was doomed to fail. Um, so I think now he's got a stable project in, in Sevilla. You know, he's got Monchi behind him. He's built himself a really tidy squad. Um, I th- I'm not surprised at all that he's, he's done so well. If anything, I think he probably could have finished higher had he had the same momentum post-lockdown. But he definitely did well this season and the, the results show, show that. Yeah, they were so, so close to even finishing third ahead of Atletico Madrid. But Atletico Madrid, for the eighth year in a row, into the top three. Roman, we heard Diego Simeone earlier in the season say that it was a transition year. He got a lot of criticism for that. I personally agreed with that. He lost half of his starters in the summer. So how do you evaluate Atletico's season? Uh, do you give it more credit because it was a transition year and they still finished third? Or do you think they could have done more? Well, at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of people thought that uh, Atletico Madrid could actually win the title. As Has uh, pointed out before, uh, there were lots of fans who were actually saying that Atletico had a great squad because if you look at the team individually, player by player, I mean, it's, it's a really, really good team. One of the best Atletico, I think, have had. But of course, it's a lot of new players coming in. So they all have to adapt to Cholo's system, to Cholo's style. And that obviously takes time. That's not easy. So I can partially understand that uh, it was... a uh, 
step, you know, in in the way, and he has to adapt and train his players to learn all, all the all the key things at Atletico. So in that sense, um, I do think that he's right. But uh, he did get the break, and I think after the break, Atletico came stronger. So I, I think the players, you know, got to uh, get his ideas quite well. And now they have the Champions League where they threw already to the next round. And, you know, that's an advantage they have. And they could even surprise us by winning uh, that competition. And everyone would say that what an incredible season Atletico's had. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, we'll see. And the Europa League now, let's have a look at this one. Villarreal finishing in fifth, Real Sociedad in sixth. And then Granada, Euro Granada, we have to call them now, in seventh. An incredible achievement for the newly promoted side, Paco. They finished seventh and that meant they get into Europa League. Can you just quickly explain to us why seventh meant Europa League qualification this year? Yeah, of course, everyone knows that the Copa del Rey winner gets one of those tickets for the Europa League competition next season. But in this case, this season, due to the coronavirus outbreak, um, both Athletic de Bilbao and Real Sociedad had to play that final and it had to be postponed. Okay, So they had two choices. The first one to play that final behind closed doors before August 15th, and uh, whoever was to win it, he, that team would go to the Europa League next season. But the second choice was playing the game, playing that final, but with their own fan bases inside the stadium, whenever it's safe. And that would have to be forcibly later on this year, 2020, or even will move on to 2021. So both clubs decided to do the latter, okay? They decided to play with their own fans because they wanted that excitement, the atmosphere of having a Bass Derby in the final. So they uh, gave up on the possibility of moving on to Europe in that sense. So La Liga, in turn, decided that the seventh would go on to the Europa League and they will have to play several playoff rounds before uh, being uh, a proper Europa League team. Yeah, and Real Sociedad, it didn't really matter for them because they got in anyway. And you've got Europa League football coming back to where you are, the Valencian community. Sadly, not at Mestalla, I'm afraid to say. But at Villarreal, how impressed were you with the way they performed after the restart? Because when the coronavirus pause came about, I don't think many people expected Villarreal to get into Europe. Well, I was very, very impressed, as I believe most of uh, Spanish football should be, because Villarreal have been the most impressive side after the break. If you uh, leave apart um, Real Madrid and Atletico de Madrid, I think that suddenly everything clicked. Villarreal, uh, Santi Cazorla has been masterful the whole season, and he did also his own thing in the last 11 games with goals, with assists, being an all-around midfielder who was able to move the team and, and win games on his own. Um, and I think that both him, Gerard Moreno scoring, Thamo Anguisa in the midfield, he has been a breakout star for Villarreal. And also, we have to talk about him, um, Javi Calleja. He was not in the best position once the break came al along, but and that's why uh, Villarreal contacted Unai Emery, who is going to be Villarreal's next manager. He should be uh, officially announced in the next few hours, in the next few days. But I think Javi Calleja has vindicated his uh, position in the bench and he did a very good job. So I hope he has another project in line because he deserves that shot uh, of managing a club in, in La Liga. Yeah, a good achievement in the end. Villarreal uh, firing into Europa League, coming in with lots of momentum. The opposite is true, really, for Real Sociedad. They, they clung on in the end. Only three match days all season were they outside the European qualification spots. But on the final day, they were outside for quite a bit, but they managed to sneak in at the end. Haas, it would have been a big shame for Real Sociedad if they had missed out because they have been so good all season. And do you think there's maybe even a sense of disappointment there? Because for a while, it looked like they could get Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
it was it was tough for them to take. I think it's having to slip and settle for the Europa League because they were in that Champions League spot for predominantly most of the season. Um, and I think like Atafa, they suffered from the uh, the post lockdown loss of momentum. It was hard to keep that groove going when you have that such a significant break. Uh, obviously, fitness and stuff was affected. And naturally, I think their squad struggled with the fact that they weren't as fit as they were prior to the uh, prior to the restart. Um, but they're still in Europe, which is still a, you know a fantastic achievement for them and for their squad um, and for the and for the coach as well. I think overall, it's been a strong season for them. Ultimately, somewhat disappointing, but they definitely can take some praise for that. Yeah, definitely. And then let's dwell a bit on Granada now. What really struck me looking at this was they started so well, they won three in a row early on. After that, they never again won more than two in a row. So it's not like Granada had a purple patch that uh, propelled them to the Europa League. They were just, I don't know, I, I don't really know how they did it. Paco, can you help me out? How did Granada do this? Well, you already said it, that they didn't have that kind of impressive run of um, stringing a few wins here and there and, and suddenly becoming the, the best thing in the league. But I think consistency has been crucial this season for them because remember back in match day 10 they were top of the league after beating Real Betis 1-0 and after that game uh, everyone realized they weren't a fluke and they haven't really um, get out of the race at any point there was a few games here and there back in January in February where they suddenly weren't in the same form but I think that kind of consistency with Soldado in front with the Carlos Fernandez many players Duarte at the back um, you know I, and I also the manager, I have to speak about the manager, Diego Martinez, in my view, the coach of the season, he has done an amazing job with the, the just uh, promoted side. So I think we should deservedly praise properly what Granada have done, because I think it will be remembered in a few years uh, time. Yeah, and we'll absolutely uh, praise the coaching staff there at Granada in a little bit when we discuss our picks for coach of the season. But now let's discuss some of the players, some of the key names of the season. We've already seen the objective awards. We know who's won each of them. No surprise that Messi has once again won the Pichichi. That's his seventh of his career, which means he now overtakes Telmo Zara, who had six during his career. And Zara, remember, he was a player in the 40s and 50s for Athletic Club, and he was so good that they named an award after him as well, the Zara Award, which goes out every season to the top scoring Spaniard. And this year, for the first time, after a three-year Iago Aspas run, Gerard Moreno wins this one with his 18 goals. And then another of the awards, the assists award, it goes to Messi as well. This is the first time a player scored 20-plus goals in a La Liga season and had 20-plus assists. Messi getting 21 there and overtaking Xavi, who previously had the record for assists in a La Liga season. So Messi, even if we say this may have been a, a quiet year for him, He's still been so good. And in the goalkeeping award in Spain, we have the Zamora award, which goes to the goalkeeper who had the best numbers on average in terms of keeping goals out. And Thibaut Courtois wins it, 0.59 goals conceded per game. And that's his third Zamora award. And his numbers this year, even better than when he won it twice with Atletico Madrid back in the day. Roman Messi won the Pichichi top assister. He's won the objective awards, but was he once again the best player in the La Liga season, if you look at the eye test? Well, I mean, I know a lot of people would pick Benzema, for example, over Messi, but when Messi's in La Liga, I, I have to go with him because, I mean, he's still a, an amazing player. He, he's broken the stat you commented. I mean, he has 25 goals and 21 assists. That's a total of 46 contributions 
for Barca's 86 goals. I mean, that's that's incredible. It's more than half of them, you know. So Messi's just fundamental. And despite Barca not being great, he was the one pulling the team. He was the one sustaining Barcelona uh, near Madrid until the end where he couldn't do any more. But it's it's always down to Messi. So I think as long as he's in La Liga and as long as he's playing at this level, he's going to be my MVP season after season. Yeah, as Roman said, some people might pick Benzema. You already told us that your player of the season for Real Madrid is Mondi, but some people will pick Benzema. Are they right to do so? Because he was pretty good as well this year. Oh, yeah, it's sensational. I mean, he led the scoring charts for Real Madrid, led the assist charts. Um, and if you look deeper into it, I think he actually led the way for chances created and all those sorts of juicy stats. So in terms of leading from the front, you can't really ignore that. And then even beyond that, he won the most points of any player in the league, had the most goals against the top uh, top teams in the league also. So a phenomenal season for me. Really shouldered that burden considering the injuries to Eden Hazard, the lack of substance from Luka Jovic. Um, he really did pick that offence up, which is still moderately weak in comparison to what Madrid has had in the past and quite literally dragged it along. Yeah, and Paco, as our, our non-Real Madrid or Barcelona person in the room, are you picking someone from those teams for your league MVP or who are you going for? Well, I think that both players have done amazing this season, but uh, I believe they're picking them is too mainstream for my taste. So I have to go with a third uh, wheel, third choice, third option. I have to go with Lucas Ocampos. You know, I didn't really know the player. Uh, I knew he played in, in the French league. Um, I hadn't seen him really. And I think he has done many things brilliantly this season, even... Uh, being, you know, a uh, goalkeeper for Sevilla and, and saving an, a crucial shot for them in one of those last games. He has played um, 33 games this season, scored 14 goals, three assists. He has played absolutely everything and did it brilliantly. So I think um, he deserves the, the praise and he deserves to be right up there in, in, in the group of two, three, four most important players this season. Yeah, Ocampos may be the hipster pick of the season, but I buy it, I buy everything you said. Has we've spoken about Courtois, he won the Zamora, but was he actually the best goalkeeper in the league this season? Was he actually better than Ter Stegen, Oblak and even Ocampos? I think he definitely was a standout, but there's other names out there that definitely do stand out also. I mean, you had Aito Fernandez and you know Simon who really did stand out. Uh, Simon particularly, I'd like to highlight because I think without him, Athletic Club wouldn't have had as solid a defence as they did because he did bail them out at times. I mean, you see they're conceding under a goal a game. It's just, it's incredible. Um, and he, he was a real standout for them this season. So I'd say I'd probably go with Unai Simon if I was to pick one. No, definitely, definitely a good pick. Now, I want to get your idea, Paco, on the young player of the season because I know you're always looking ahead to the future, the players coming through. Who was the best under 21 in La Liga this year? Well, I know many people will go for Odegaard, um, but if I have to speak about an under-21 player, I would go for Ferran Torres, okay? But not really the whole season. I believe the first half of season for him was massive, and I think that's the reason for teams such as Manchester City to try to make a move for him this summer, because he's so young, so talented, so uh, 
unstoppable on one versus one in, in on, on the wing. He knows how to score, how to dribble. He has the, the physique. I think he is going to be a great player in the future. But if I have to speak about the younger player who has impressed me the most, I have to go with Carlos Fernandez. He's 24, though. He doesn't fit your description. But between Ferran and Carlos Fernandez, Sevilla player, played for Granada this season on loan, he has been massive and he has been crucial for his team getting into that seventh place and playing next season's European competitions. Yeah, a bit too old for my description, but I'll give you Carlos Fernandez has been great. Roman, can you give us an older player of the season, someone over the age of 35? And you're not allowed to pick Carlos Fernandez for this one. Okay, you're making it hard for me. Uh, nah, it's easy. I have to go for Santi Cazorla. I think he's been incredible this year. Uh, there were lots of doubts. Uh, we didn't know whether he was going to be at top shape, you know, because he's coming from a really, really hard injury. And uh, he, he went past that. He got past all those injury problems and he proved that he still has plenty of quality in his boots. And as you can see in the graphic, you know, he got nine assists. He's been key for Villarreal. They made it to Europa League in big part thanks to uh, Santi Cazorla. So I think he's definitely the best older player over 35 in this season, no doubt. No, I'll, I'll give you that one as well. Definitely agree with what you said there, Roman. I want to get then your teams of the season. We'll get into the juicy stuff. Uh, Paco, let's go for you first. Can you talk us through your, your formation um, and your team of the season? Who did you pick? Well, of course, we're uh, taking a glance at that lineup, 3-4-3 formation with Oblak at the back as the keeper. Navas, Ramos, Piqué. Many will criticize me that Navas isn't really a defender. Well, deal with it, okay? In the fantasy teams, he is. So in my book, he is. Midfield with Modric, Banega, Fernando Cazorla, Messi, Benzema, Campos in the front. We shouldn't speak about these three because I think it's obvious that they have been absolutely monstrous this, this season. Monster of a players. Uh, Modric did very well. Fernando has been amazing for uh, Sevilla, as did uh, Eber Banega, who is leaving this next uh, summer. Also, Cazorla, we talked about him already. Massive player. And, well, Ramos. And Piqué is the only highlight from Barca alongside Leo Messi. I think Piqué has delivered the goods this year. And he's been one of the single bright spots of that team in this whole 1920 season. Yeah, Roman, I'm interested, actually, to see how many Barcelona players you went for. Um, we'll look at your team of the season next. Can you talk us through this? Well, I have to agree with Paco, you know, 3-4-3 three, three is the best formation for fantasies. I'm going to boast a bit. I was fourth in our LLL um, league, and so that worked really well for me. I recommend that to all our fans and whoever wants to play next season with us. And I went for uh, Aitor Fernandez in the goal because for Levante, I think he was crucial. He was really consistent, made amazing saves overall. I think he was just one of the, the best goalkeepers. We could go for Oblak and all the other classics, but I think Aitor deserves a shout-out. Then in defense, uh, three at the back with Pique, Carlos and Estupiñan. Uh, Estupiñan, I think, has more physicality than, than um, Navas. We have no doubt about that. So I think it makes sense we can put him there in that position. And there in the middle, we have four players with Odegaard, Casemiro, Tomas Parti and Ocampos. Ocampos, I said in there because I couldn't pick any more up front. And I think there were some others who deserved it. And Tomas, I think he was just key for Atletico de Madrid this season. He allowed them to, to perform well, especially towards the end. Casemiro, I don't think we have to say much about him. He's been incredible all year round. And Odegaard, despite that uh, bad ending to the season, I think he was really impressive for most of it. And up front, Messi had to be there. Benzema had to be there. And the other player I put is Gerard Moreno, who was the best Spanish striker this season. So that's my 3-4-3 three, for three, four, uh, this year's lineup. Yeah, I really like it. Haas, I have a feeling you'll have quite a lot of Real Madrid in yours. 
Just a tad, just a tad. <laughs> anyway, so I've gone with a more orthodox 4 3 3. So I've got Timo Quartar in the net. Uh, I think that speaks for itself. Samora winner, solid keeper throughout the year and redeemed himself massively despite a sticky start to the season. Uh, got Danny Carvalho, Sergio Ramos, Diego Carlos, and Fernand Mendy at the back. Um, of course, the Real Madrid players listed in there were all incredible this year. I think Carvalho particularly has had quite a resurgence. After a bit of a hit and miss campaign not so long ago, um, Sergio Ramos. I don't really know what more you need to add to uh, that man in that sense. Eleven goals this, this season, uh, just broke the record for 100 club goals, which is insanity. Uh, Carlos and Mendy also two very stand-up performers in midfield. I've got Santi Cazorla, Casemiro, and Mikel Marino. Mikel Marino, I particularly want to highlight. I think he's been really impressive this year uh, and really turned his reputation around from Newcastle rejects to a standout player in the league. Uh, Casemiro, best destroyer on, on the planet at the moment. Uh, Santi Cazorla, oldie goldie, we love it. Uh, and up front, I have Lucas Ocampos, Karim Benzema, and Lionel Messi. I think that was three explaining their own positions there, really. I don't need to elaborate too much. Yeah, I, I just wonder, Has, what uh, Rafael Varane ever did to offend you, because you've basically got the entire Real Madrid defence all the way up to Casemiro and Varane left out, but I do like the team overall. We're going to discuss a little bit now about some of the coaches who actually have to select these teams week in, week out. And we've already mentioned them a little bit. Um, Paco, I'll come to you. You've kind of hinted at your coach of the season. Tell us more. Well, Diego, Diego Martinez, I think his job has been great for, for Granada. I had the chance of seeing actually Granada in the first match day against Villarreal, an amazing game, 4-4 against Villarreal in Estado de la Ceramica. And you could already see those signs that that team had been very, very solid. They had put in a lot of work in order to have the players very... Um, involved in, in, in that kind of play style, very rock solid at the back with Soldado, uh, Carlos Fernandez, Domingos Duarte, you know, so many quality players. And I think they have remained the th whole season, you know, at the back of, of, of your, the eyesight of all the fans. And I, I think at the end of the day, their, their prize of getting that seventh place is absolutely deserved. And Diego Martinez, I think he's ready to take up on bigger challenges. I don't know if it ha will happen next season, but at some point, a big team is going to make a move for him. Roman, have you got an alternative option for coach of the season or are you going with Diego Martinez too? I have to go with Diego Martinez, I think. It's, it's the basic option here. He was, he's been amazing. I mean, Paco said most of it. And when we saw Granada at the beginning of the season, when you looked at their squad, you thought that that team would struggle because, I mean, lots of players were unknown, especially to Primera División, you know, weren't sure what they were capable of doing. But uh, they were so compact, so cohesive with Diego Martinez, and he managed to get the most out of them. And the most important thing is they were consistent. You know, it wasn't just a few flashes of quality. They've been great throughout the whole season, sorry. And so I think he definitely deserves it. Although a shout out for Alguacil, who I think was also great. It's just a pity, you know, that after the break, he just couldn't keep up the momentum. But uh, he was also fantastic with Real Sociedad. And Hass, who are you going for? Slightly different choice, just to be uh, just to be different anyway. So I'm going to go with Jose Bordelas, just for the story that he's put out. I mean, when he took over his halfway position they were in, to where he's taken them now. I know they only just narrowly missed out in Europe. But that, that turnaround he's pulled off with that squad is just utterly incredible. And while it might not be the most sort of pleasing football on the eye for some, I think he's done an incredible job. He's turned them into a really formidable outfit. Yeah, another good selection. I would go with Sergio um, at Real Valladolid. I don't think everyone knows they had the lowest budget 
the very lowest budget this season, but finished all the way up in 13th. So, you know, Ronaldo has a lot of money, but not not that much money. So Sergio's <laughs> done a good job. To be fair, all the coaches who made it to the end of the season have done a good job to avoid the sack race. So now I want to kind of move on to your moments of the season. I want two moments from you each, OK? I want a moment that you thought was the best footballistically, a great goal, a great piece of skill or something that sticks out in your memory. And then also a personal moment from the season. So I'm going to go for Adderis and his overhead kick right on opening night because that was just something brilliant in his final season. And then a personal moment, I really enjoyed being at Mendes Rosa for Alaves uh, versus Ibar when Oliver Burke scored, becoming the first Scottish player to score in La Liga in my lifetime since uh, 1987. So that was quite nice to be there for that one and to then hear the terrible pronunciation of his name as they started chanting his <laughs> Um, Paco, let's go to you. What, what moments stick out for you? Well, football-wise, I have to speak about uh, Morales' incredible goal uh, against Real Madrid and beating Real Madrid um, back in February 2020 in, in, in a game which Levante traditionally have uh, always controlled against Real Madrid and Barca. This time, Real Madrid were the ones to kneel and yield against uh, Levante. And if we have to speak about a personal moment this season, Obviously, I have to speak about a bad memory, and it happened back in September 11, 2019, when Valencia released an official statement saying that Marcelino García Toral was sacked, and we already knew that a few weeks later, uh, Mateo Alemán would follow suit, because it was the beginning of the end for a team of legend, uh, Valencia, which were able to beat Barca back in the day in the Copa del Rey, and we already knew that it would dismember and disband when a few months uh, went uh, later and it is going to happen next summer. So that point in time, September 11th, 2019, was the worst memory, worst personal moment of this season for me. Roman, what about you? Do you have a slightly happier memory? Well, my best personal moment this season, I think, has to be Bruno Soriano's return after that really horrible injury. He's had so many years trying to fight to get back to a football stadium and finally he managed. It's a pity that the fans weren't there to see it, to applaud him, to, to, you know, to cry with him because it was a very emotional moment. And I personally followed Bruno Soriano a lot. I really liked him as a player. He managed to play a few times with the national side. I thought he had a lot of future there. But unfortunately, it didn't work out because of the injury. So we lost a player that could have been fantastic. And um, in the end, at least, he just retired. He got to say goodbye. And he proved to everyone that he was going to come back no matter what. And he did it. And on the other hand, the most impressive moment for me has to be Joaquin's hat trick. I mean, 38 years old against Atleti de Bilbao. He scored it in barely 20 minutes. I mean, that was so impressive. And when I saw that on, on TV, I was like, has this really happened? But yes, Joaquin scored a hat trick with 30, 38. And by the way, today's his birthday. He's 39. Incredible, Joaquin. Yeah, happy birthday to Joaquin. I hope he's spending it watching along with everyone on this La Liga Lowdown Live. We're getting towards the end of it. Has what about your moments? Uh, so my sort of personal uh, moment of the year was uh, Vinicius's goal in El Clasico. Um, considering all the sort of beatings he takes online for his lack of end product, and I know it was a somewhat lucky deflector goal. It was more the intent, the moment, and the vindication for him. He's always been a good player in those big games, so to see him get that moment was was truly magnificent. Um, and the moment that sort of I enjoyed quite a lot was uh, Ogar's assist to Oyasabal against uh, Alaves. What a ball that was! Just I, I can still see it in my mind, like just replaying and replaying and replaying. Yeah, I think I'm going to look that one up again later because I do kind of remember that one. Memory's a bit blurry because it has been a long season. A lot of what we've talked about happened a long time 
a goal. But the season is completed and that comes to the end as well of this La Liga Lowdown Live. The second one we've done, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been commenting along, criticising everybody's team of the season. I hope to see lots of that when I take a look later. Um, thanks just to everybody who's followed us this season. It's been a big season for everyone here. We've had a lot of podcasts, seven to eight podcasts, lots of videos on Twitter. We launched a website this year, lots of articles going up there. So thanks to everyone who supported us. Thanks to all the guests today. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at La Liga Lowdown to find out what's coming up next, what's going on over the summer and our plans for next season. For now, thank you very much. <laughs>